Mickey, I'll just ask you to introduce yourself in a sentence. So my name is Mickey Morgan and what you do here at Oakwood. I'm Mickey Morgan. I teach in the social studies department and I work with kids in a variety of groups, most of which have to do with one aspect of what's now called social justice. What skills will students need to be prepared for an increasingly complex future? As technology continues to shape our society and our structures of communication, how should education respond? And can places of privilege foster equity and inclusivity within and beyond their communities? My name is Tristan Friedberg Radman. This is Learned. On Learned, we're looking beyond test scores and college acceptance rates to understand how education can shape the future of our society and what kind of teaching we need to bring us there. Our guest today is Mickey Morgan. Mickey has been teaching at Ogwood for 36 years and has spearheaded two of its most enduring student organizations, Glove Affair and the Chiapas Project. He was my teacher in 10th grade for European history and again in 12th grade for AP Human Geology. We spoke at Ogwood about the durational work of teaching social justice and social change. When did you start at Oakwood and what drew you to the school? I've always liked teaching, even though I was highly discouraged. My first job for eight years was at MIT, and the first thing I heard from them was, don't think about teaching. You're not here to teach. You have to teach, but you're here to do serious work because we think you're good. But I still did like teaching, and in college and university, you don't have a chance to have the same engagement with the other side of that. So I went out to Oakwood, and I sat on that cement floor outside what used to be Parish Hall, and just talked to kids uh, most of the day. And it was amazing. We talked to, I mean, talked to some probably self-selected kids. We talked about Baudelaire and Kafka and Marxism and what was going on in the world and their own lives. And I was pretty blown away. My school didn't have people like that pretty much. I was pretty uh, alone. And this is the specter our well-meaning liberal friends refuse to face, that their policy of accommodation is appeasement, and it gives no choice between peace and war. And then I went to Arts Fair, and a guy who became a lawyer in L.A. was a junior at that time, Larry Daniels was his name. And he got up on stage in a gorgeous evening gown with a lot of blush and lip sang to You Make Me Feel Like a Natural Woman. In my school, this person would have been killed. <laughs> And I just thought, this is very different. And uh, I really like a certain kind of, not weirdness exactly, but, you know, the ability to, I guess it would be under the general rubric of creativity, of being able to express yourself in interesting ways. And I was really drawn to it. So I decided to come. What community groups are you involved with right now? 
I've been doing a lot of work with APLA, which runs the AIDS Walk. We're now part of a Another thing called Kids Who Care. Founds so good. I, um, I work a lot with PEPLA, also about AIDS. Uh, Oakwood Kids have worked with I work with different groups in Skid Row. Um, there's this incredible in East L.A., there are two organizations which are gold. And the other one... I've, is my vote for the best group I've ever met, uh, which is Proyecto Pastoral, a guy at There's a group called Inner City Struggle, which works with schools, period. So I wanted to ask you about timescale, because you've been doing this work over the course of decades, and you're teaching people who don't have the same perspective that you do. They haven't been in the world for as long. They haven't been in Los Angeles for as long. They maybe haven't been able to see the kinds of changes that you've seen accumulating in our city over the course of the amount of time you've been teaching at Oakwood. How do you convey that to students? When you have experiences and you reflect on them, that's what I actually think growing up is about. Have big, significant experiences, but give yourself time to reflect on them so you're not just bouncing. Like the biggest such experience for me, which I think about a lot because it's sort of where kids were. I was very moral when I was a kid. I went to a segregated school in Virginia with the Confederate flag on it. The presidents of our student government did what was called coon shooting after the parties Friday and Saturday. They'd drive out on country roads and throw beer bottles at black people and such. And it was really like nightmarish. And I spent my senior year actually sitting in in various parts of Northern Virginia, which was at the time kind of rednecky. I met these guys from the Freedom Rides down south, who were the first adults I actually admired. So I sort of got into it that way, and then it went away for a while. When I went to college, nobody was talking about civil rights, actually. It was more about nuclear disarmament for a while. And then in 1964, as you may remember, there was this Freedom Summer thing. And I went to Mississippi. I mean, that was a kind of experience that I needed because I was a very morally self-righteous person. I mean, it was a defense in my high school, but, you know, you don't lose that when you're a kid. And it really blew me away. I had a really intense time of it that summer. You got over being, quote, morally proud of yourself. You know, you just have to deal with the world. And there are people down there living very unprepossessing lives who are like unbelievable people. I mean, they were doing and putting up with stuff that I couldn't begin to contemplate doing. It sort of changes you as a person having all these experiences. Not that you have perspective in the sense that, well, it used to be like this and now it's like that, but just that you go through things with people who are very different from yourself and you do it because you think they deserve better and you are in a position to help, roughly, very roughly. But it also obviously has enormous valence in your own life. And so that's what's different about being 76 and not 16 or 17 or 18. You could say, well, the poor you will always have with you, as they used to say. So don't get so bent out of shape. That's an insane way to talk to a 17-year-old. They should be bent out of shape. That's like a part of growing up, right? And so the idea that you're wiser because you have this perspective is, I think, pretty much silly and really very self-serving. And what happens is you grow up. And if you keep your eyes open and you keep feeling things and thinking about the things that you're feeling, you change in lots of ways. And that's true about everything, friendship and love and so forth. But it's also true about this stuff, right? And so I think that's the big difference. It's not that it used to be like this or you think it's bad now. You should think about the 50s. Find a 
But I do think I have to take into account, it's a lot like teaching, you know, to tell you the truth, because I try to teach that it's going to be somewhat significant to kids. But the way it's significant to them is not the way it is to me. And, you know, I just have to think about the other a lot when you're teaching. So we've done, for example, just recently, a big intense unit on refugees, on Syrian refugees and stuff like that, which I've been reading tons about over the summer, and it makes me heart sick. But I have a lot of different resources to bring to bear. Not thoughts necessarily but just personal resources to the experience and kids you know some of it is pretty heavy stuff and so you have to modulate what's given and you know, how much of it kids say things like what am I supposed to feel because it would be nice if there were an answer and there isn't right you just have what you have and you have to think about what you have and why you have it and where does it leave you and stuff like that that's true and the work takes a long time what work are you referring to, sir? The, <laughs> the, the, to make things better? Yeah. Yeah, forever. Yeah. Forever it's is not, a long time. There's no, yeah, there's no end. Yeah, and that's another tension, you know, because I think people are drawn to solutions. Like, here's a problem. Let's fix it. And that is not the nature of the world we live in. It's not a math puzzle. It's got a lot of problems and uh, ideas. You just try to make things... I joke around and say less awful, right? But it's not an unhealthy way to look at it because it allows you to keep your intellectual integrity, like things are pretty awful. A lot of wonderful things also in this world. And you devote some of your life, it doesn't have to be all of it, to making the awful stuff less awful. You also have to avoid making people feel guilty all the time. Kids have a very complicated life, everybody does. Kids especially, though, because so much of it is unsettled. They don't know who they are, what they want to be, their relation to their parents, sex, drugs, rock and roll, anything. So what you're doing is saying, okay, stop thinking about yourself. There's a world out there. And that's inane, right? They should be thinking. Their kids are amazingly self-centered. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's a time in your life when it's pretty good. Adults, the good ones, I think are a little less self-centered. Um, because not that they become boring and routinized, but they do, you know, work out relations with people and places and work. Kids really don't think very well of themselves on the whole. They are more aware of all their warts and wrinkles than we are. And if you feed into that by thinking you should really feel terrible because, look, here are these people over there suffering and you're not doing anything about it, that's horrible. That's why there's so much resistance now, to, especially among boys, to social justice stuff, because they just think they're just going to be made to feel guilty for fooling around with their friends instead of doing something good. And, you know, you got to fool around with your friends, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> My name is Christy Guevara. I am the Director of Alumni Relations here at Oakwood, and I am also a 10th grade advisor. So I'm turning this to Tristan as a former student of Mickey's. In what ways did Mickey inspire you and motivate you to make an impact? That's a great question, and it's one that has no short answer. 
I moved back to Los Angeles two years ago when I was 24 and came back to a city that looked really different than the one I'd left when I went away to college when I was 18. Obviously, the first thing that was really evident was the amount of new construction, the increased unhoused population, and the really visible structural inequity in our city. And, you know, Mickey, you were just talking about the balance between feeling guilty and taking action in some way. That was something I had to learn and discover for myself in the last couple of years. And when I came back to LA, it became really clear that living in the city meant a lot more than I'd seen a lot of people do, treating it like a place that was exclusively a, a sort of playground for wealthier workers. <laughs> and some of the tools that I had learned in high school, particularly the structural analysis of how we arrived at this place, you know, being able to look at a new condo going up in Hollywood and understanding that that means, in addition to a couple housing units being built in Hollywood, it likely means people being displaced from their homes it has really informed the work that I do now. And it's not in a professional capacity. I do grassroots work with a group that is opposed to the Olympic bid in 2028 because what that means for our city is increased police presence. It means manufacturing a city that looks good to outside real estate investment and to corporate sponsors. It means, you know, even though in theory it's a no-build Olympics and that's what we've been told, it means demolishing rent-stabilized housing to build hotels in tourist destinations and trying to figure out at a very very simple level. Where can I pitch in and what can I give? Not because I feel guilty, but because I feel it's part of the fabric of who I am and I don't want to live in the city that I see happening and unfolding before my eyes. I'd rather work to build something different. So Tristan, do you think that you felt a lot of that foundation grow during your time at Oakwood? I wouldn't have thought it then, but now, of course. And that's an interesting thing to grapple with, particularly as I've grappled with what it means to have gone to Oakwood, to have received the education that I got here as a really privileged kid growing up in LA. I don't think at the time I was thinking about how these experiences in education were going to shape the work that I did as an adult. It just felt, I think in the best way, it felt really natural. Like a part of the education was a gift of this worldview, which particularly going to college and encountering people in Los Angeles in the recording and entertainment industries who don't share it has sometimes been actually agonizing. It's a foundation that I wish a lot more people shared. And I'm realizing as I go to older and I grow that I was taught that. It didn't come naturally to me. Obviously, I had a family who supported that worldview, and I had teachers who supported that worldview. And without them, I would be a different person, and I'm really grateful for the perspective that I have now. It's part of why I was asking you about timescale, Mickey, because the seeds were sown then, but it's taken a long time for it to come back around to something that's a really full part of my life. Glad to hear it. Mickey, what is it about an Oakwood education that you believe in? Well, lots of stuff. I do think that at Oakwood, there's a special thing about how kids are encouraged to relate to one another and also to grown-ups, teachers. 
which isn't all that standard and has its abuses. I mean, you can be too much one of the guys as a teacher kind of thing. But I think, for example, the two things that Tristan was really involved in a lot were the Chappas Project and Love Affair. And I think one of the lessons that came out of that was, which I believe in also, that doing stuff that's worth doing in some moral sense can be a lot of fun. I mean, I've done this stuff all my life. If it was all terrible, all I could think about was the hardship I'm trying vainly to do something about. I wouldn't do it for... I mean, it's like I've met some amazing people and had good times and blah, blah, blah. You can't teach that just out of books. You have to experience that. is supported by Oakwood School, a K-12 independent school in Los Angeles, California. Today's episode was produced by me, Tristan Friedberg-Rodman. I graduated from Oakwood in 2011. My co-producers are Ivan Johnson, Oakwood's Director of Co-Curricular Programs, and Christy Guevara, Oakwood's Director of Alumni Relations. You'll be hearing more from each of them as the series progresses. Original music courtesy of Ethan Gruska, Class of 2008, Jody Lando, Class of 2010, Lauren Tronic, Class of 2011, and Tears for Fears. Intro music and additional sound design by Ivan Johnson. If you like what you heard, please leave us a review on whatever platform you're listening on and hit subscribe. Our homepage is at anchor.fm slash learned. In our next episode, Ivan will be talking to Aaron Novak, Oakwood's middle school director, about everybody's favorite developmental period. Until then, this is Learned.